Listener Production. Hi, I'm Anthony Matafari, and I'm the lifestyle editor at Car Sales. For me, when I'm out on the road on a road trip with friends and family, you tend to have conversations you wouldn't usually have anywhere else. So I thought it'd be a good idea to head out on the road with some well-known Aussies to get to know them a little bit better. Let's meet today's guest. Matt Shervington, thank you so much for having us along for the ride. Great to be here, Anthony, and uh, welcome into my vehicle. I was going to say it's beautiful. What is it? Uh, This is a Volvo XC90 plug-in hybrid, which basically means it's electric and petrol. But I've driven every iteration there is of Volvo cars because I've been an ambassador for 18 years with them. So you you are a bit of a car person then? Yeah, I'm a massive car fan actually. I do enjoy kind of um, watching motorsport. I enjoy knowing what's in the marketplace but to be honest i haven't really splurged on a an amazing car or a uh an exotic car a supercar but have always driven volvos and and really enjoyed every bit of it because i've seen the evolution of the Mm. the brand i've actually raced volvo cars as well oh wow yeah around eastern creek and and other places so they actually used to be in the v8 supercars well with that in mind i'm gonna Buckle up because I think we're about to go for a bit of a speedy we're, ride. We've got to switch it on because it's getting a bit warm in here, I've got to be honest with you. Let's get the aircon going. And it's a plug-in, so nothing is happening. It's very quiet. Yeah, you won't hear too much. Let's just hope we don't run over a cyclist. <laughs> so you've been an ambassador, you said, for 18 years with yeah. Volvo. How did that all come about? So I used to do a show for Channel 7 called uh, Beyond Tomorrow, a science and technology show, and I got invited to... Gothenburg to Volvo's head office, the safety centre they call it, which is basically where they send every model of car to be tested uh, to figure out what sort of safety rating it's got, how it holds up and handles itself in a a big collision, all different types of collisions. Anyway, so I went over there and and did a story on them and went through the whole place. I got to meet everyone. I did the safety centre. I went through all their concept cars. I saw the production of, of the cars coming through. I just instantly fell in love with this brand and it was just strange but I just loved what they were doing and I loved that they were setting a standard especially we know the safety standard that they've set in the past but they allow that safety standard to be utilized across every brand so for those that don't know Volvo actually produced some of the key safety elements in cars every car that you drive on the roads today. So hazard lights, impact crumple zones, uh, reversing cameras, right down to the three-point harness seatbelt, which they actually had the patent for, but they allowed that patent to be used in every car. So every other car brand should be a little bit thankful to (laughs) Volvo for for designing that technology. Otherwise, you'd have a seatbelt very different to what we've got here. So that's how it started. Um, That was in 2005. I came back home and I called their marketing team and and said, um, any chance I could drive a car I was living in London at the time when I'm back in Australia? And they said, absolutely, love to. I had another contract with... um, some cash and another brand and my manager was like you got to take this contract because it's worth this much money and I was like do you know what they're not offering money but I want to be associated with this Mm. car brand and that was 18 years ago wow Mm. have they got you to do some random things as an ambassador (laughs) over the years I have done so many different things some really great things and some fun things I've been over to 
different parts of Sweden and done global launches. I've gotten to meet some amazing fellow ambassadors at Volvo as well. Um, probably the weirdest thing, and in the safety center, they have a whole lot of kind of comparison tools where you can put these helmets on and it gives you an idea of how heavy a baby's head is in comparison <laughs> to like a grown human. So yeah. you put this helmet on, it's like seven kilos or something, and it just gives you an idea of when you're breaking, how far your head can go uh, forward if you're a baby. Yeah. And I've also worn a full pregnancy suit that's that's uh, yes. random, yeah. which which is very strange um, because obviously you know I, I can never really understand what it feels like. But I wore a full pregnancy suit. It had boobs and it had the <laughs> belly, and it was like probably weighed about probably about ten kilos all up. And um, it was just to allow me to kind of feel what it was like in a collision or an impact and where the pressure points would be. So there's been some weird stuff. There's been some fun stuff too. I've, I've driven a load of cars for them over the years and seen the development of this technology we see now, the hybrid technology, the EV technology, of course, which is sort of filtering through their model range. But I have had a chance to race. A couple of years back, they were in the supercars and they raced with their high-performance brand, which was called Polestar at the time which is now an EV company, mm. and they tuned their supercars and they even designed a, a V8 engine for them. Um, Scott McLaughlin, who's now like one of the best IndyCar drivers in the world, was driving their cars for three years. Yeah, I, so I did a few laps with him in the car and then uh, was lucky enough to drive the production version around Eastern Creek a few times. And uh, yeah, probably got it up to about 250 down the straight into the big first corner um so yeah we've had some fun stuff too so you're pretty good on both in the car and on actual track so you translates i have fun driving i wouldn't say i'm really good at it uh not like a proper yeah. race car driver man they're they're unbelievable i i've got to take my hats off to you know the likes of daniel ricardo and even the supercars guys like shane van gisberg when you see him drive and will davison all those people you know like they're just yeah they're guns you are a Olympian and a Commonwealth Games runner. Where did that all start for you? Like, mm. were you destined to be, you know, one of Australia's fastest men? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was always pretty fast as a kid, definitely. But I had to work really hard. Like, I started training when I was probably 16, 17 years old. And I know that because I started training when I got my P's, basically. Ah. So I was able to drive to training. I lived on Sydney's North Shore and I trained in Kensington at ES Marks Field, which was one of the only tracks at the time. My personal best time was 11.24 seconds. And wow. I remember that because my dad ran 11.27, which wasn't that fast. And I wanted to run faster than him. The first 12 months I went from 11.24 to 10.29, which was the national junior record for the 100. And then another 12 months after that broke the national senior record for the 100, 10.03. So that ended up being my personal best. Yeah, so it was a quick progression. I had to start training. I went from nothing to five days a week and got some great results really quickly. So it was good. Soon after that, you're on the world stage. When you're standing in a stadium full of people, do you see that and feel that or are you kind of in your own little bubble? Man, there was this one moment and it still gives me goosebumps now. I was lucky enough to compete at the Sydney Olympics mm. and I grew up half an hour away from Homebush and to walk out in front of that crowd it was 110,000 people at the time and the crowd just erupted there was this tunnel system underneath the stadium and you had to walk around to the back side of the track and then walk 
all the way around to the start of the 100. So he'd walk about 200 metres in front of the crowd. And the whole way I'm walking around, the whole crowd just started rumbling under their breath, saying Shervo. <laughs> and it was this, like, spine-tingling hum. Shervo, Shervo, like this. And, like, you imagine yeah. 110,000 people doing that. And as much as I was trying to focus, I just, like... I was embracing the moment, you know, like it was just craziness. So that was really cool and still to this day just makes me shudder to think of that. Definitely a highlight for me. But, uh, yeah, I wouldn't say I was destined to, to, you know, be an amazing athlete, but um, loved every single tenth of a second of it. Was that the moment when you're like, I've made it? Or was there another moment where you're like, wow, this is like, mm. I, people know who I am, mm. you know, I'm on top of the world. I wanted to break 10 seconds for the 100. I would have loved to have snagged an Olympic medal, which I missed out on. I was lucky enough to get Commonwealth medals, Commonwealth Games medals. I was lucky enough to get a World Championship medal. But I missed out on that kind of elusive Olympic medal. So the way I describe it is it's like you start your career and you want to climb Mount Everest. You want to reach the pinnacle. And the pinnacle for me was a gold medal at the Olympic Games. And I kind of got up to the summit and then I had to traverse before reaching the peak and come back down on the other side. So there was definitely moments in my career where I was like, I wanted so much more than that. But then at the end of the day, I kind of look at it and I go, well, maybe I wasn't destined to make it that far because I pushed myself so far to get to that point and maybe there was nothing left. It's like, you know, I used all the gas in the tank. When you got to that point where you're like, I've run out of steam and my running career is probably done because mm. you went straight from school to running what was your plans mm. then did you have any <laughs> did you have a plan did you did you ever think that you know I probably should nah. figure out a career nah nah no I did I did I actually I went to university I, I studied human movement I always had an interest in doing some sort of physiology or, or understanding the body or PE teaching whatever it was going to be coaching mm. So that was kind of the path that I went down, but that very quickly diverted to athletics. But um, I retired when I was 29 in athletics and my body was fine. Like I could have kept on going, but I wanted to do something else. And I was doing a bit of TV at the time and I actually got a call from Foxtel, a guy called Brian Walsh, who was a head of television over there. And he said, we've got the rights to the Olympic Games. We need to put a broadcast team together. They didn't really know what they were doing over there. It was the first time they had the Olympics. And they said, would you like to be involved? And I was like, yes, absolutely, I'd love to be involved. So it was an easy decision for me. That was after the Beijing 2008 Olympic Games. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm there, I'm yours, use me how you want. But where that kind of moved to television for me was not the Olympics so much, which I love doing. And I'm at Channel 7 now and we've got the Olympics. I've done a couple of those in the last 12 to 18 months. But the thing that really struck a chord with me was going into the Sky Newsroom mm. and learning news and seeing what the journos do and especially sports journos. And I was kind of hooked straight away. So I was having to write, edit, present and got the best tuition I could have gotten. Does TV give you the same kind of rush that you get from running or is it different? It's very different. You're never going to get the highs that I think as an athlete you get and, and when you do well, the adoration and, and all that sort of stuff. And I think I, I learned very quickly that 
I may not make an international dice anymore, but if I get a little email from my boss or my department head that says, hey, great job today, you've got to kind of use that mm. and take that as a big win. It's not going to be the same, obviously, but I think that's why athletes, when they retire, they're like, how do I get that again? What do I do to get that buzz again? And I just don't think you can replicate it. I, I really don't. I don't know, maybe race car driving. Maybe. maybe that's the thing. Put that on the, um, the to-do list for the <laughs> upcoming year. Um, what was your first car? Because you said you got your P's <laughs> and your first... Um... This is very random, and I'm going to seem like you know, a very boring motorist. It was a Saab. Really? Yes, I know. It's you, weird. You chose it? I didn't choose oh, okay. it, uh, I must admit. It was a 1976... Saab 99, it was like this beige, I think they called it eggshell white, like it was, yeah, yeah, it was like off-white, even better than that, it was a burnt orange interior, yeah, it was so 70s, and it was underpowered, it was bulletproof, it was like a Swedish tank, and my dad bought it, and in hindsight, looking back on it, He bought it for himself, but I know he kind of knew that I was coming of age, and I reckon he bought it for me, knowing that it was probably one of the safest cars I could have at that time. I actually wrote it off. I T-boned this old woman. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) I was on my P's. She turned late across three lanes. I wasn't prepared to stop. Trying to stop this three-ton Swedish vehicle, (laughs) I just couldn't do it. I T-boned her. I actually wrote it off got the insurance check and was able to get it fixed and re-registered for a couple of hundred bucks less than what I got when I I wrote it off. So I had that car for quite a while actually and then um, there were a couple of cars in between but not too many, I've got to be honest. But weirdly, so get this, Mm. I'm doing this photo shoot um, for Volvo, funnily enough, their XC40 which had just come out and the photographer goes, uh, what was your first car? And I told him, Saab 99. Mm. And he goes, oh, no way, I'm looking at buying one. I'm like, are you serious? Why? Why would you buy one? Go out and get a Datsun 120Y. It's way better. No. So <laughs> anyway, he goes, yeah, yeah, have a look. He showed me this car, and I'm not mm. kidding you. It was the exact car. No way. Yes, it was. So it was off-white, orange interior i'm not sure if it was the exact car but, but like close. fundamentally it was my car my first car and that would have been so that was probably 2018 19 something mm. like that i took a photo of it so if there's anywhere that we can publish something that people can look at i know this is a podcast i'll give you a photo yeah of send it. me a photo and we we'll pop it up on the yeah, um, car sales yeah. i website. literally i took a photo of his phone because he was like, here it is. Oh, no, he took a photo of a magazine, I think it was, and yeah. So, no, I've got it. Today, obviously, you're a dad. You've got, mm. you know, got a big car, good for family holidays. How does everyone yeah. go on the road? Yeah, so I've got two teenage daughters, and I've got a five-year-old little boy. We've done quite a few trips in the XC90, so this year alone, uh, we've been down in the snow three times, so you've got to appreciate a device mm. on a long road trip these days. Like, I know that we shouldn't be encouraging our kids to use iPads and iPhones and all that, but, geez, they're good, aren't they? They're How good for the long teenagers? road teenagers? Are they at a good age? 16, 14. All right. Yeah, they're, they're finding their feet. They're definitely becoming young women, and, uh, yeah, 
growing up fast. Um, yeah. Are you panicked that it's nearly time for you to teach them how to drive? Yeah, well, so my eldest, Sienna, she's got her L's. Um, I must admit I haven't taken her out ah, yet. Okay. <laughs> and it's not because I don't want her to drive my car. I just haven't had a chance. Um, but my wife came back the other day and she said... Um, I think you should teach her. <laughs> I was like, why? She goes, she missed a Mercedes by this Ooh. much. Ooh. Yeah. She, um, anyway, she's learning like anyone. I think one of the big issues for people when they're learning is just being thrown in a really busy, hard to navigate environment. And I must admit, I, I took her go-karting and that was kind of my <laughs> gift to her. Because she had actually, like, we didn't grow up on a farm or... Yeah. And kids don't get a chance to get behind the wheel of anything these mm. days. Like, you can't chuck your kid on your lap anymore and kind of drive into the driveway, which I used to do with my dad. Like, I remember driving up the driveway with him on his lap. And I just needed to give her the fundamentals, which was an accelerator, a brake, and a steering wheel. So we went and did the electric go-karting, and she got lapped which I think is better than running into a wall. I wouldn't say you don't want um, to start the lead foot from a very young, young no, age. No, no. The only issue with that is there's an accelerator on the right and a brake with your left foot. Yeah. So that's a little bit of a tricky thing. Um, you don't want to kind of use both feet as, as we know. What were you like as a kid? I was a little bit of a rat bag. I love sport, so that kind of, that really took all of my attention. Um, the thing that I really enjoyed the most was going to the beach. That's what I was focused on. Loved surfing as a kid. I would, yeah, catch the bus any way I could go. So as soon as I got my peas, it was like happy days. It was the best. I actually used to go to training early. I'd go for a surf and then I'd turn up late to training and my, <laughs> co my Russian coach would be like, where you been? He's like, oh, I just went for a surf. And he's like, you can't do this. You're going to be tired. Or you say, too much fatigue. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> oh, fatigue. Fatigue. Uh, yeah. But the beach lifestyle was kind of the greatest thing in the world for me. And, and now my kids, although enjoy doing the beach, I've discovered skiing. Mm. So every time I get a chance to go to the snow, that's what I do. So my kids have kind of like... They've grown up skiing and surfing and doing some kind of fun stuff. So, yeah, I hope they appreciate that in the future. But we're so blessed and so lucky, especially in Sydney, to have it all on our doorstep. Not to say Melbourne's not great too, right? But as they say, you know, in Melbourne you show off the clothes and in Sydney you show off your body. <laughs> you looked right at me as you said that, Matt. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> so do you think you've got um, some Winter Olympians then in your family? I hope so. No. I, <laughs> uh, they just enjoy it. My daughter, she did, yes. Proud dad. She made it to nationals this year. And her team, so she was in a very good team and was lucky enough to kind of ride that all the way to the podium. So she was second best 14-year-old women's team in the ski cross event. Oh, wow. So that was pretty good in the country. Mm. That's not bad, yeah. And this yeah. is a pretty good car to get you to the snow too. It's very... Yeah, load it up, chuck the skis in, chuck all the equipment in, very easy. It's such a good car to drive. Like, And as I said, like I've known this brand for so long. Every little advancement I've seen kind of evolve. Mm. I, I do love what they do, and I love the whole philosophy mm. of, of the Swedish culture. They have a, a really good connection with 
nature. They're very friendly people. The first time I went to Sweden, I was in a car and we we're just doing these test drives and I stopped at the lights and um, was talking to someone asking questions, uh, sorry, asking for directions. Before they said, yes, I'll help you, they said, just turn your engine off. You're killing the environment uh-huh. as we were about to have the conversation. So, and that was like, again, that was almost 20 years ago. So they've been really conscious of it for so, so long. And um, you know the other cool thing too, I just thought of this, at the safety centre, they actually used to acquire crashes from all over Sweden and even beyond that, Europe-wide. And they'd bring the crashes to, like the cars involved in the crashes, to the safety centre. And they would analyse them. Because every crash is different, right? And they all have different elements to them. And they would study them to better enhance the safety features on their cars. So they'll be like, okay, what sort of time of day was it? What was the environment like? Where was it on the road? Who was involved? Who was driving? The other car, blah, 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 blah. All this stuff they would go through and go, right, let's tick that off, tick that off, tick that off. We need to improve this, 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 this. Like, so cool. And they would get hundreds of these crashes and bring them in and analyse them. Would you say you're just as analytical about when you were running and even now? Like, do you see that's when You're going to ask symmetry? me if I'm a nerd. I'm not oh, a yeah. nerd, but, yes. you know. I am a nerd. a nerd. I do love stats. Yeah, yeah, I do love it. I do love a stat. I really love a stat. So, for those of you listening, we are recording on Halloween. It's the 31st of October. I don't want to date it, but it is. <laughs> it's the truth. It's the truth. You're hearing your vampire costume and everything. Um, $480 million is spent on Halloween each oh, year wow. in Australia. Like, it's a significant industry. On average, here you go, here's a stat for you. Every person spends $86 on Halloween paraphernalia, Halloween lollies, whatever it is. Sorry, that was just a stat that just came well, out of Well, and I'm, like, I'm pretty know. impressed at this time of day, you've got these stats, because you've been <laughs> up since, what, 2.30 this morning, because you've got yes. the, uh, the big call-up <laughs> to the hot seat on sunrise. I, yeah, I, I filled in for Koshi this morning on sunrise, which was fun. Sorry, I should be holding this during <laughs> 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 Oh, gosh, if you need to pull over and have a snooze, let it's us like, know. It's got lane departure. It actually <laughs> can drive itself. Yeah, that's kind of happened the last 12 months, filling in for Koshi, which is so fun. What is, like, what really is it like fun. now being, like, everyone already knew you, but, like, being, you know, in primetime TV and breakfast TV, you get, like, a big audience. Do people stop you on the street now and go, oh, I saw you on Sunrise, or I remember seeing you at the Olympics, or you in those shorts? Like, what yeah. do people come <laughs> up to you the most about? <sighs> Uh, yeah, the shorts. shorts. Definitely the shorts. But now, Sunrise, I'm the filling guy. Like They just say, <laughs> oh, you're going so well, filling in for Koshi. To be honest, I, people don't really come up to me too much. Like, yeah, I, I, I'm not super famous. So, Can we yeah. talk about the shorts? I know that's probably embarrassing, but mm, yeah. for those listening who might not be aware and have not Googled or YouTubed it, can you just give them a brief <laughs> couple of liners about it? I dread to think people <laughs> now Googling it. So when I was starting out in athletics, I wore this bodysuit once and my frontal anatomy was swinging around and it got a bit of attention at the time and yeah, I've never lived it down since. So um, It kind of hit home when I picked up my daughters once, she would have been about, she was in primary school, would have been about 10 years of age and I picked her up and one of the mums answered the door with a glass of Chardonnay and said, I've just been Googling you. <laughs> I was like, oh no. 
<laughs> oh, you're that oh, dad. No. I apologise. So anyway, yeah, that's the story. The long and the short of it. Literally. When were you made aware about the shorts? Because everyone seemed to know about the shorts, but did you know about the shorts? Well, it was... Uh... <laughs> I'll just say this one thing. Yeah. Two things. I'll say two things. One, it was just just happened to happen, right? It was the suit that I was wearing at the time. And unfortunately, it was on TV. So that that is what it is. And here's the other thing. And my mate... Every time it comes up and he's with me, he says one line, the camera puts on 10 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> he loads his favourite thing to do. It's like, oh, are you talking about that? Yeah. Anyway, so yeah. So that's, that's it. That's, right. that's, that's it. Enough. But um, I'm sure going back to Halloween, there probably has been people dressed up as Shervo for Halloweens, maybe? Do you know, no, there, there have been people dress up as me over the years, um, mostly for Mad Monday celebrations ah. after the footy season, yeah. Surely yeah. that's a compliment. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> they wear it well. <laughs> if I opened your glove box, what would I find? Like, do you oh, keep God. things in your car? It's going to fall out of there. Uh, nuts. Nuts. Gee, yes. that's a the theme of this podcast. Uh, oh, is that a button? Up, is that the button? I don't know, is it? Just, it'll take your leg off. Oh, okay, so just, well, there's no, yeah, there's no buttons there. And you can't, you can't figure out how to open the glove. There oh. you go. Yeah, we've got... It's quite sh- sad, What really. is with our guests having nuts yeah. in their car? So some, n- yeah. not just nut- nutty nuts. Yeah, no, there's not much in there. Face masks. Face masks. I mean, they're a given these days, right? Yeah. And I don't even know what the documentation is oh, there. It's probably, probably loan applications insurance. or something. <laughs> <laughs> your loan sharks are. Oh, you got to, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's probably my bookmaker. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, here you go. Oh, this is sad, really. So I've got an earpiece. Oh, these yeah. are so these are for outside broadcast. So if I'm doing the news outside, right? Oh, yeah. There you go. There's my earpiece. Mints, because if you're doing an interview. Well, you've also got mints over there. So yeah, gum, gum on that side too. Uh, it's my wallet. There's my garage opener. There are my keys. There's oh. Paul Paul. You got to keep the lips nice and juicy. And when we got his... and. Makeup. I was going to say, we've got some studio yes. concealer makeup. Yes, I know, it's sad, but that's exactly what it is. So if you're, um, you know, just about to do a cross, you get the little brush. Powder. Do your, you know, forehead, shiny forehead. Outside uh, of the studio, because you know how you good it makes you, do you pop it on your daily life? Mm, that's it. No, I don't. It'll lick you before you head down to the shops. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it. That's, that's my whole, what's this thing? There you go. Oh. Here's Mark's Athletics Field oh, training is, pass. Which is just down the road, there so we can go. probably go in and See? go for a run. There you go. Look, I might not be That's as it. quick Some as you want. headphones, old school, not wireless, oh. and a couple of coins, not that anyone... Oh, and cash. I mean, come on. Oh, very That's, old school. That's old school, yeah. So you mentioned at the start of our drive that you wanted to beat your dad's time <laughs> yeah. when you started running. Was, was he a runner? He was pretty good at school, and he was fast. Like, he was known as a fast footy player. But, yeah, he ran 11.27. I mean, it wasn't, like, that fast. It was fast for a footy player, but not that fast. So when I broke his best time, I think I was only 16 years old. So, yeah, he was good, but not amazing. But, no, Dad, Dad's been my number one supporter. I mean, my whole family have, really. I've got two older sisters. My sister took a f- quick photo of um, me at my first Commonwealth Games where I made the podium. I, I got a third. And the Queen gave me my medal. Really? Yeah. She gave me my medal, and, and um, it was the only snap that she kind of got. 
I've got the actual shot of the queen putting the medal on my neck, wow. so that was kind of cool. But dad particularly has kind of been a really big supporter of mine. My first world championships I went to, I actually false started in the semi-finals of the 100 and got disqualified. Yeah. And I'll still never forget it. All I could hear was dad saying, Matthew, like this from the crowd. And it's like the only person in the world that calls me Matthew. And he just wanted me to know that he was there. And uh, just hearing him yell out from the crowd, it was just enough comfort for me at that time to just go, oh my God. But they've been amazing parents. Like they never super pushy, always encouraging, but always facilitate opportunity. But never like, you've got to do this. You've got talent. Don't waste it. Have just had the ability to give us the chance to choose our path. So we've chosen very different kind of paths. One's in PR and marketing and, and the other one is a psychologist. And yeah, we've kind of gone our own directions and been successful in our own career paths. So. Not an overly emotional family. Is that part of you or are you kind of a more of a spiritual, emotional kind of guy? Oh, we're super spiritual. Like, not kind of religious faith-wise, but Dad's actually got a PhD in um, theology okay. and a master's in philosophy. So he's a really deep thinker, um, very educated man, always given a morality check. So treat people well, be humble, be grateful... And that's always kind of been instilled in us. So I don't know what happened with me. I'm a, I'm a big wanker, but no. Um, I, I think um, that's definitely kind of come through. And I, I just hope I can kind of give that to my kids. But yeah, being someone that has a sneaker collection and drives a really nice car, it's going to be hard. What would you like to do next? Pull over and let you out. Oh, really? Am I that no. much of a bad uh, um, passenger? Oh, man. Yeah, that's a great question. I don't know. I was at Fox for seven years and, and I was just doing rugby league and I desperately wanted to get back involved with the Olympics and that's why I kind of made the move to Channel 7 initially. If nothing else in television, I get to do the Olympics, I'll be satisfied. It is the greatest event in the world. So being a broadcaster and being able to be involved still is so cool. What is the Athletes Village really like? like- <laughs> it's fun. Like, it is... All the stories are true and more. Like it's, I mean, you think of it this way. Have you ever travelled with a group of mates Mm. and you go out and you meet people and whatever? Well, athletes all travel together, men, women, whatever, all together, and you're training so hard. It's like going into your HSC or your your end-of-year exams and you've worked so hard and you've focused so much and, and you have the biggest party afterwards. Well, you're doing that with, like, the fittest and hottest people in the world. Like, it's kind of like, it's right on your doorstep. When you're in the village, you're literally, like, knocking next door and you're like, hey, how are you? Where are you from? Germany. Wow, that's amazing. Dust is good. Dust is good. (laughs) So, yeah, no, it's fun. And for the ones that do well, it's like, yeah, let's celebrate. This is a lifetime achievement. So, yeah, it's a fun part of it, definitely a fun part of it. But the thing that I always used to think, too, I'd always have fun the last couple of nights when I wasn't competing, um, which was normally right up to the end. But I always wanted to just come home and hang out with my mates. Mm. Like those mates that I miss birthdays or miss weddings or bucks nights or whatever, because I was away, I always wanted to get rush home when I had some downtime to hang out with them. So that's the downside to being, you know, in an athletic yeah. zone. I reckon 
the moment when people are sacrificing too much in your life to allow you to continue to chase your dream, which has probably been for a long time anyway, mm. over a decade it was for me, it was almost 15 years. That's when you kind of got to go, it's not fair anymore. It's not just me. Like I'm not the only one sacrificing because I'm actually gaining the benefits. It's everyone else. And I think when you have kids, that happens really quickly where you go, I had my daughter over in London and then a second one was coming and my mum and dad and Jess's mum and dad hadn't really spent much time with Sienna, who was our eldest. And like, so who am I to choose that for them? Mm. They don't get to hang out with their grandkid, really, because I'm living on the other side of the world. At the end of the day, it's, you've got to make a call. And that call was to, to pull up stumps. Before you let me out, because I know you're keen to head off for a sleep. After You've you. been amazing. So Great ro- passenger. Thank you. So road- I drive Uber in my spare time. I know. I was, Volvo I don't know, so don't tell them. <laughs> I wasn't offered, some money for I wasn't the car offered a water, but I was offered mints, so we are halfway there. <laughs> so road trips, much like life, twists and turns up and down. Mm. If you were to describe your life like a road trip, mm. how would you describe it? Nürburgring. Really? It's like really fast paced, but it goes for ages. <laughs> and I constantly want to set lap records. That's kind of, yeah, yeah. I reckon that's probably the best, best example. Matt Shervington, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for having me along for the ride. Thanks, Anthony. It's been great. Along for the Ride is a listener and car sales production hosted by me, Anthony Matafari. Producer is Kelsey Menzies, audio by Kelly Fulston, and executive producer is Todd Stevens. Listener.